bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacy. Live in Word with Pastor Mensah Otobin. And now, today's word. I'm going to preach a very uh, simple word, I hope, um, that I believe speaks to the core of our faith as Christians, who we are and what God wants to do with us. The Christian life is lived with knowledge. It's lived with knowledge. And so the Apostle Paul prayed for the Christians of Ephesus and by extension the Christians of Accra, Ghana, that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. Because ignorant Christianity is a very dangerous prospect. And uh, I hope that we don't become ignorant Christians who have a faith but not understand what we have. And so uh, for those of you who know, you know that I teach and that's my gift and my calling. And so I take time to, to break the word of God down. I've titled my message, God with us. God with us. And you would ask, why did you say God with us? Because he's with us. And also because we are getting to Christmas. And uh, one of the uh, things about Christmas is, is celebrating Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So uh, that's why I've, I've titled my message, God with us. There are two important words that I'm going to introduce right at the beginning of my message, and they'll run through my message and the conclusion of my message. And uh, the two important words, uh, they may not be words you hear all the time, and they may not be words you are familiar with, but I will mention them anyway and explain what they mean. The first word is the word transcendence transcendence and transcendence is used to describe God to mean that he's above all he's greater than everything he transcends he rises above everything so our God is a transcendent God he is greater than all things. He's greater than his creation. And the second word is immanence. Immanence. And immanence means that God is present in his creation. It's a conflict of thought that a God who is transcendent is also immanent. A God who is above all is also within what he has created. It is this tension that runs through our whole Christian life and our whole Christian effort. The whole of Christianity is about managing transcendence and managing immanence. The God who is above his creation is also present 
in his creation. The God who is greater than us is also with us. The God who made us also lives inside of us. It is a thought that is conflicting but is the reality of God. And, um, and so when we talk about God with us, that is the idea behind the concept. And because this conference is called Heaven and Earth, uh, this conference is dealing with transcendence and immanence. Heaven, the transcendent. Earth, the immanent. This is where God lives with us. So when you read the creation account from Genesis chapter 1 and you go to chapter 2 and chapter 3, you realize that the opening words of Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So right there we see that both the heavens, which is a metaphor for the spiritual realm or God's realm, and the earth were created by God. God is the only one who existed before his home existed. He existed before heaven was created. Because heaven itself cannot contain him because he exists outside of both heaven and earth. So, in the creation account, you realize that God is the God of heaven and earth. But the heavens and the earth are separated. They are not together. So, God creates heaven. He creates earth. But the earth does not have God. The heavens have God. So everything you read in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2 is so that God who is transcendent will be immanent, will be present. And how did he do that? He, he took a spot on the earth that he had created and decided that he would build a home there. And he called it Eden. And in Eden, he put the man that he has created and decided that any time he wants to see the man, he will visit him in Eden. So Eden, therefore, becomes God with us. I hope you are following. And then you know that our parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And so God took them from Eden. So in Eden, they were living in heaven on earth. Then they went out from Eden and got hell on earth. Because when they left Eden, they went into thorns and thistles and all kinds of tough situations. And then God closed the door to Eden. So if man cannot get to Eden, how does God dwell with us? Because the God of heaven chose a place on earth. He put us there 
and we left there. So throughout the Bible, the story of the Bible is how God will restore heaven on earth. God with us. And so uh, if you read your Bible well, and I hope you do, you would notice that sometimes God will show up somewhere. Sometimes he will show up in a place. Abraham would say, oh, God is here. It's just a spot. And or sometimes he shows up on a mountain. And so the people began to realize, although God has left Eden, he shows up sometimes. And so they decided, now we need to mark the spots where God shows up. So anytime God shows up in a place, they will build an altar. So that after they are gone, the next generation would know that God sometimes shows up in this place. And one person who did a lot of that was called Abraham. Because God met him in different spots and everywhere God met him, he would build an altar. So that his children would know where to find God when they are looking for him. And so, his son, grandson, Jacob, is in trouble. He's running away. And he goes to one of the spots where Abraham used to meet God. And he slept there overnight. The heavens were open over him. And uh, he got up and he said, whoa, this is the gate of heaven. The Lord was in this place. And I didn't know. Then later on, when God built the nation of Israel, he said, I don't just want to meet in spots. I want to give you a certain assurance of where I am, so I'm going to show you how to bring heaven on earth. So he gave Moses a pattern of heaven for the earth. And so he built what is called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was put in a tabernacle. And in that place... The glory of God dwelt. Then later on, he told David, the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle keeps moving, but I, we, we need to get a fixed place. So David built a temple, and in that place was God with us in the temple. And then the children of Israel, like the children of Ghana, were very disobedient. And eventually they lost the Ark of the Covenant. They lost it. Because they were conquered through disobedience. God with us was gone. But as we heard from Pastor John just earlier on, God decided, this time I'm not going to show up on a mountain or in a river or by the roadside or in a tabernacle uh, or in a temple, I'm going to show up myself. And so he came, the transcendent, came to the womb of a woman and became immanent and produced a son, and we call his name Emmanuel. God with us 
Okay, now I'm begin beginning my message. This is just a prelude to what I'm going to say. <laughs> Usually it should take me a longer time to do that, but I have to do it shortly and get to it. So, my immediate text is John chapter 1, verse 14. John's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, anytime you read the Bible and you find one word repeated in close proximity, it means that that word is the most important word in that verse. Because, you know, in, in the Bible days, they didn't have capital letters. Neither did they know how to use exclamation marks. And they didn't know how to underline so the only way to emphasize something is to repeat it. So when you see repetition, it's like capital letters. Pay attention. The word became flesh. That's great. For what purpose? We beheld his glory. The glory. Now, so you see, the glory is the most important thing in this verse. Because glory is repeated in this verse. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Christ Jesus, heaven and earth reconciled. In Christ Jesus, heaven met earth. The transcendent God became immanent. And what happens when the transcendent God becomes inamant is that there is release of glory. So when God became flesh, the result was glory. The glory of God. The word glory is a very heavy word. It means the brightness of God's presence. It is the manifestation of of God's power. So when Jesus lived on the earth, he was God with us. And everywhere he went, the glory of God was revealed. People could not tell what it was, but there was something about this guy that was unusual. And they couldn't explain it. But John explains it. What they couldn't explain is what John is explaining. It was glory. And if you remember your Bible well, you remember that any time that when, when the glory of God or God was in the Ark of the Covenant, one of the things that was the mark of the Ark of the Covenant was what was called in Hebrew the Shekinah. The Shekinah. The glory of God. So, in the ark, there was the glory of God. In Jesus, there is the glory of God. Whenever God indwells a thing or a being, glory comes upon the thing. 
so when Jesus was on the earth, he was the carrier of the glory. He was the container of glory because he was the one who had the combination of transcendence and immanence together. And the byproduct of that was the glory of God. But if you read the account of John well, it says, we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So if he's the only begotten of the Father, he's the only one who carried the glory. And this glory sometimes would manifest physically as happened on the Mount of Transfiguration from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. And, and, and it says from verse 1 and 2, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Wow. Verse 5. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Now, I want you to watch something. When Jesus was on the mountain, the glory which has always been on him was manifested for the benefit of his disciples. So, they saw the glory, but how did they see it? The first thing they saw about the glory was that it touched his face. It touched his face. The glory of, on Jesus Christ touched his face, his person, his skin. The body of Jesus became bright like the sun. So, when the glory touches you, something changes about the way you look. Then not only did the glory change his face, it changed his clothes, his appearance, his lifestyle. So there is a private or a personal transformation on his face, public transformation on his clothes. So anytime the glory of God comes upon us, we must expect that transformation to also take place. That there must be a change in our being, in our person, and in our public expression. What we do personally and what we do publicly must be subject to the glory of God. Now, I was so fascinated by what took place on this dance floor. I know it's an altar and a pulpit, but David also danced like that. Bef he, he didn't even dance on a, on a church stage. He danced before the Ark of the Covenant, before the glory of God. He danced. So when I, I saw these young kids, oh, you're not kids, young men and women, <laughs> dancing, I said, wow. And may they not just dance before the glory, 
but be they manifest the glory. May the glory be seen in your life. May it be expressed in your life. May people look at you and say, what kind of a person are you? That's what they said about Jesus. What kind of man is this? Who is this guy? That the, the, the wind and the waves obey him. Because one of these days, the elements will obey you. And people are going to ask, what kind of a man or a woman are you? So Jesus had this experience where there is transfiguration. There is change. His face changes. His clothes change. And then the atmosphere changed. Because there is a bright cloud that fills the place. So the glory of God doesn't just stay within us. It infuses the atmosphere we are in. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I wish I had the luxury to deal with that, but I can't. I have to watch my time. But they heard a voice from heaven. Anytime you hear that, you read that phrase in the Bible. Isn't it amazing? You know, many times when we think of heaven, we think of a location. But heaven is not a location. It's a dimension. It's a dimension. Because, you know, many times people imagine heaven is up, 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 up. So when they pray, they imagine their prayer running up, up, up. Goes beyond the clouds and goes, 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 passes the moon, passes Mars, passes Pluto, going to God. By the time it gets to Pluto, you've been dead and gone and buried. (laughs) Because heaven is not far away. So when the Bible says a voice from heaven spoke, what, what do you think happened? Did you think they heard something very far? This is my beloved son. It's traveling light years. This is my beloved son. By the time it gets to Jesus, it's about many years afterwards. That's not what happened. They heard it right where they were from another dimension. Because heaven is not far away from us. Heaven is God's space. And it's a dimension within the space that we operate in. All right. So let me not go too far into that. So Jesus carried the glory. But he's the only one who carries the glory. So when Jesus is about to die, he's still the only one who carries the glory. He's the only one who is God with us. The rest of us, God is not with us. God is against us, actually. (laughs) The Bible calls the rest of the world children of wrath. It means God wants to really harm you. (laughs) God wants to harm you. He's the only beloved of God. He's the only one who is God with us. And he's just getting to the end of his life. So this is about six days before Jesus dies. He's still the only begotten of the Father. 
He's still the only one who is carrying the glory. And so John chapter 17, verses 22 to 23. Jesus is praying. And he says, And the glory which you gave to me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. I in them and you in me. The glory you gave me, I give to them. But before Jesus prayed that prayer in John 17, there's an incident that took place in John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, verse 20 to 24, it says there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, it dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it produces much grain. The request is very simple from these Greeks who had come to the temple six days before Jesus dies. And these Greeks come and they speak to Philip. And they say, Philip, we want to see Jesus. Philip says, okay. And Philip goes to Andrew. He said, Andrew, these guys want to see Jesus. I don't know why Philip couldn't tell Jesus himself. Maybe Jesus had, you know, protocol. Because it seems so. I mean, if you read the account of the little boy who came with the five uh, loaves of bread, the same sequence, Philip had to go to talk to Andrew. So Andrew seems to be the go-to guy. So, so he goes to talk to Andrew and says, Andrew, these Greeks want to see Jesus. Andrew says, okay, let's go. So they go to see Jesus and say, I don't know how they call him, whether they call him Jesus or Sir or Rabbi, Rabboni, whatever. Or PGD, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they called him, but whatever they called him, they called him that name and said, Sir, these Greeks want to see you. Now, I want you to imagine what is happening. Let's say Pastor Gideon is Jesus. And who are the Greeks? These guys look like Greeks. <laughs> so they want to see Jesus. So they come and they talk to uh, this Philip here. And Philip talks to, who is Andrew? Andrew. So they come to Jesus and say, Sir, these Greeks over there in that corner, they want to see you. That's a very simple question, isn't it? A very simple request. Please sit down, Andrew and Philip. And because if somebody comes and says, Sir, these people want to see you, you the logical thing is, where are they? What do they want? How can I help you? Jesus said, none of this. Everything he does is very illogical. We want to see Jesus. Jesus says, now the hour has come. What's happening? <laughs> What's going on in your head, sir? The Greeks want to see you. The hour has come. 
what hour that the son of man should be made manifested except a grain of wheat falls to the ground it abides alone what has we want to see Jesus got to do with everything Jesus is saying it doesn't seem connected but it's connected because when Jesus when they are talking about that you know later on uh, God also joined in in verse 27 Jesus says now my soul is troubled what shall I say father save me from this hour but for this hour I've came father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven what has we want to see Jesus got to do with all this drama why why is Jesus agitated why is the father stepping in harmless Greek question because at that time he's the only one who is God with us and he's just about to die six days from now. And Jesus says, the time has come when the grain of wheat must fall to the ground. Who is the grain of wheat? He. Why? Because unless I fall to the ground, this grain of wheat will die alone or will exist all by itself. But if I die, then this grain of wheat will produce other grains of wheat. What has that got to do with the Greeks? So that when somebody says we want to see Jesus, they don't have to travel from the land of the Greeks to Jerusalem to come and see me because I need to transfer what is in me to as many people as possible so those who want to see God don't travel a distance to see God. And that is why he's agitated. That's why the father chipped in. That's why the voice came from heaven. Because this is all that God has been seeking to do from Genesis chapter 1. Immanence and transcendence. The transcendent God has made himself available in a man. But that was not the original plan. The original plan is first produce the prototype. And after the prototype, photocopy the rest. So that the earth will be populated with Emmanuel's. 
those in whom the transcendent God has become immanent. And after Jesus has said all of that, he says something very interesting. John 12, 31. Well, verse 30. He says, Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In Genesis, there was a transfer of rulership from Adam to a very bad guy. We call him Satan, but he has other names as well. He became the ruler of this world. And Jesus is saying, before I take what is in me and make it available to everybody, I have to deal with this guy. The ruler of this world must be judged. Judged for what? For what he cost in Genesis chapter 3. He's going to receive judgment. And when I judge him, then this grain of wheat can now be multiplied so that what I carry will be carried by everybody who is associated with me. The Father in me, I in the Father, and they in me, and I in them. That is what Christianity is all about. The lights, it's fun. The dance, fun. Wearing nice black t-shirt, fun. But the real stuff is that the transcendent God will become immanent in you. That's the real stuff. That's the real stuff. And this is how Hebrews puts it. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 to 11. For it was fitting for whom are all things by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. There was a time Jesus used to call his disciples his students. And another time they were his servants. He called himself the master, you are the servant. I'm the teacher, you are the student. 
Then getting to the end of his life, he says, you are now my friends. But according to Hebrews, we move from servant and friend to become brothers and sisters of Jesus. Because at a point in the life of Jesus, he took of what was in him and gave it to us. The main mission of Jesus was to bring people into glory. And this is how Colossians chapter 1 verse 26 to 27 concludes the story. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his servants to whom God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the attainment of glory. So now, if you go back to Eden, there is no immanence in Eden. If you go to the places that Abraham planted his altars, he's left there. If you found the Ark of the Covenant, it's still not there. If you were able to assemble the tabernacle of Moses, God is not there. If you went to the temple of David, he's not there. If you went to Jerusalem, He's not there. Where is he? Christ in you. Christ in you. So we are not looking for him in places. And neither are we looking for him outside of us. It's okay to honor your pastor, a man of God. But he's not the only carrier of Christ in you. I am not the only carrier of Christ in you. No pastor, no bishop, no pope, no cardinal is the only owner of Christ in you. Because the wheat has fallen to the ground. And new wheat has been produced. Christ in you. The hope of glory. And the apostle Paul said, this is the mystery that has been hidden for ages. The holy grail that people pursue if you, if you watched uh, uh, Da Vinci Code, running from Galilee and, and, and going to Galileo and going to Copernicus and going trying to find uh, the Vatican. No, 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 no. Christ does not live in the Vatican, in a tomb. He doesn't live in a well. He doesn't live in an altar. 
He doesn't even live in the tomb he was buried in. He doesn't live on the cross he was crucified on. All of that is not Eden. All of that is not where God is. He decided that he will live inside of you. And because he is in us, the glory that the Son received from the Father has been given to us. And we are being transfigured from grace to grace, from glory to glory, from beauty to beauty. That is all the work he's doing amongst us, bringing us to the fullness of the stature of Christ that we could go out to the world and truly for the world to say, if you want to see Jesus, go to look at that guy. That's Jesus out there. Look at that lady there. That's Jesus. The testimony God wants from us is that wherever we are, in our office, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, when people are looking for God, they will come to us. That is the story of Christianity. That is why we come to church. That's why we dance. That's why we jam on this floor. That's why we do all the things we've been doing here. That's why these crazy people dance the crazy dance. Because they have found Christ in you. Christ in them. They are the Ark of the Covenant. They are Eden. They are the altars of God. They are the habitation of God. They are the holy place of God. The disciples of Jesus found it very difficult to believe that Gentiles could be included into this. They felt it's okay if Christ comes to Jews because we've been holy for a very long time. We've lived holy, our fathers. But not these Gentiles, they're they're bad people. So they struggle. Even the great apostle Peter. So one day, Peter, God says, I need to talk to this guy. And I need to talk to him in a way he can't forget. So I'm going to wait for when he's hungry. And show him a vision of food to eat. And Peter, a very good Jew, says, no, I don't touch anything unclean. And God said something very profound. It wasn't about animals. It's about Gentiles. You and I, who are of non-Jewish heritage, he said, what God has cleansed, let no man call unclean. I don't know what your past has looked like. I don't know what your life has looked like. You may have messed up your mess.
There are people who mess up their mess. And people say, oh, there is no hope for you. No, it's not about you. It's Christ in you. The hope, the hope, the hope is Jesus Christ. He living inside of you. Tonight, we just want to talk to the Lord. That we will not just carry his glory. But we will manifest his glory. Wherever we are. In our homes. In our, in our schools. In our universities. In our offices. Wherever we go. In our relationships. In our marriages. In, in, in all that we do. That people can look at us and say. That's Jesus out there. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Lift up your hands to the Lord for a moment and just begin to talk to the Lord and, and just ask him to not just let the glory sit inside of you, but as the same glory was manifested and transfigured Jesus, let that glory transfigure us, transform us, transform our face, transform our clothing, transform whatever we do, transform our words, transform our expectations, transform our desires, transform everything about us. Just talk to the Lord, talk to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you are here tonight and you are not sure that Christ is in you, tonight is your night. Eden must be born inside of you. The glory of God must come into you. And so if you want to encounter Jesus, meet him face to face, you want Jesus to change your life. You want Jesus to make you a brand new person. Whilst we're all here thinking about these words, if you are here, you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, just lift up your right hand wherever you are. You want to be born again. You want Jesus to come and live inside you. Lift up your right hand. Don't feel shy. Don't feel embarrassed. I don't know what your protocol is, Pastor Gideon. Should they come forward or we pray? So those of you with your right hand up, I'm going to ask you to just walk up to the front very quickly. Just walk up to the front. Walk up to the front. Come up, come up, come up. Today, the glory of God will be inside of you. God will come to live in you. 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will live inside of you. The God who created the heavens and the earth will live inside of you. His glory will fill you. And tonight is the most important night of your life. I'm going to lead you to pray a very simple prayer. The whole church will join us to pray that prayer with you as well. To make a very important decision. Put your hand on your heart. We're going to pray this prayer. Let the whole church join in this prayer. Say with me, Heavenly Father, I come to you today just as I am. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. Have mercy on me. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me and cleanse me. Today, I receive Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. I declare with my mouth and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And from today, I am free from sin. I am free from Satan. I am free from every demonic activity. From today, I live to the glory of God with all my life. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I thank you, Father, for accepting me in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mensah Otebi, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensah Otebi. Email otterbill at centralgospel.com or call plus 233-302-688-000.